Well, um, you see the title of the sermon today, I guess, is The Parade. I love parades, always have. Probably it goes back to growing up in a small town where there really wasn't a lot of other things to do. So in the Christmas parade, it came time for that. Boy, we'd line up several hours before the parade even began. It didn't matter to me whether it was raining or not. We were there. We were always waiting and hoping that those floats would come by and that people would throw candy out to us. You begin to learn that some candy tastes better soggy when it's wet from rain than others, but you all knew that it was the Christmas parade. And at the end, you were going to see Santa Claus. And so it was just a, a great, great day in a young boy's life. And so I've grown up enjoying parades, and even though now I sort of prefer to watch them for the comfort of my own home, you'll find me watching the Rose Bowl Parade or, or even trying to find the Nashville Parade on the television. And I promise before I uh, leave Murfreesboro, I'm going to take in the Murfreesboro Christmas Parade too. But my favorite parade, and I suspect it may be true for many of you, is that fourth Thursday in November when you wake up on Thanksgiving morning and you watch the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. I mean, it's just got the best of everything. I, I love the balloons. You know, there's several stories high, and, and I love the balloons especially that take me back to my childhood. So, with all due respect to a lot of the new modern-day cartoon characters that are featured there, for my money, it doesn't get better than Charlie Brown or Kermit the Frog or Spider-Man. You know, I just love seeing all of those big, big balloons. And I love the floats, even though most of the floats now are corporate sponsors. They're like little commercials that kind of go down the street. I still like the beautifully decorated floats and all of the celebrities that are on them. I love the dancers. You know, oftentimes being New York, the Rockettes will be there. And, and I love the marching bands, bands that come from all over the country. I mean, I, I, love, I love the clowns. I love clowns. Now, I know I lost some of you on that last one. Some of you don't like clowns. Some of you have what they call, uh, let me see here, coolrophobia, the extreme or intense dislike of clowns. Now, some of you may not be quite that bad, but you still don't like clowns in general. They look a little creepy to you. They've got that you know, that big old red nose, and they've got the exaggerated faces and the eyes, and you really can't see what's going on underneath all of that makeup, and they've got that, that little uh, uh, hair, you know, that little frizzy red or orange hair. Some of you are pretty creeped out by clowns. Anybody here creeped out by clowns? Reverend Mary Dickin. We were having a staff meeting a few weeks ago and there was a clown convention or something over in the next room and Mary's kind of like doing this the whole time. Well, I knew she wouldn't be the only one. I knew there would be plenty of you all here that, that have some dislike or maybe a phobia of clowns. 
One of the things that psychologists say that when you have a phobia is that you need to be gradually presented with the phobia in a safe environment until you get used to them. So what's safer place than a sanctuary on Sunday mornings, right? So clowns, come on in. No, I'm just kidding, just kidding. Some of you are really starting to hyperventilate. I get it. I get it, I get it, I get it. But you know, so, so there are two kinds of people in the world. People who like clowns and people who don't like clowns. And so if you're at a parade and you like clowns, then you're enjoying the parade. You're happy about the parade. You're excited to be at the parade. But if you're at a parade and there are clowns and you don't like them, then you're frightened and you're threatened, and you don't like, you don't see that parade in the same way that those who might like clowns would see the parade. That's exactly the kind of thing that's going on in the scripture lesson this morning. You've got a parade, and some of the people are really, really excited about the parade, uh, and then others are threatened by the parade. Others are frightened by the parade. Others would rather that the parade that they not be there, that the parade itself wouldn't even take place. As Miss Nancy said in her children's sermon, it's really a parade that features Jesus. Jesus has become so popular. I mean, he's just, everybody kind of knows who he is by now, whether it's because of the preaching that he preached or the teaching that he taught or whether it was the miracles that he performed or the healings that he had performed or, or whether it was just the fact that he could oftentimes be found sitting down with people and engaging them in conversation, seeing them for who they are and valuing them. All of those reasons, people really knew who Jesus was, and he'd become quite a popular figure. And so now it's time for Passover, and so people are making their way to Jerusalem for the Passover celebration. And Jesus wants us to know that this didn't just happen on the spur of the moment. This was a part of Jesus' plan from the very beginning uh, Jesus was going to make an entry into Jerusalem and, and is featured in our text this morning. And, and to help us to realize that this wasn't just something that sort of spontaneously happened, Jesus uh, tells the disciples that I want you to go into this village. And when you get to this village, you're going to see a, a colt or a donkey that's tied up right as you enter the village. And this donkey or this colt has never been ridden by anybody. And so when you see that donkey, I want you to untie the donkey and I want you to bring it back to me so that I can ride on it into Jerusalem. But there's a good chance that somebody might see you untying this donkey and they're going to say to you, what in the world are you doing? And when, you, when that happens, you're supposed to say that the Lord has need of it. And they'll let you take that donkey and you'll bring that back to me. And sure enough, it happened just as Jesus said that it would. Those disciples go to get that donkey. It's right there where Jesus said it would be. They untie it just like Jesus told them to untie it. Somebody came up and said, what are you doing with that donkey? Just like Jesus said would happen. And they said, the Lord has need of it, just like Jesus told them to. And they were able to take that donkey back for Jesus to ride into um, Jerusalem. And before they put Jesus on the donkey, some of them put their cloaks on the donkey. And, and, uh, and then Jesus got on it and he began to make his way into 
um, Jerusalem. Now what's interesting about this story is that this wouldn't have been an unusual event for a king or a general of some sort to ride into Jerusalem on the back of an animal. But the animal that they would typically ride on would be a war horse. It would be the strong horse. And it would be a a symbol of strength and might and power that this king or this military leader would come into Jerusalem. But Jesus has requested a colt or a donkey. Jesus has requested an animal that has never ever been ridden on before. Jesus comes into Jerusalem in, in a way that suggests He's humble and obedient to the God that has called Him on this journey for the sake of all of God's people. And as He's riding into town on this colt, and He's riding into town on this donkey, people begin to take off their cloaks and put it down on the ground in front of Him. It's as if they're making their own version of what we would call a red carpet for a celebrity now. They're putting these cloaks down on the ground, and then other people are grabbing palm branches, and they're waving them, and they're also placing those palm branches on the ground as if they were creating a highway for the King of kings and the Lord of lords to enter into Jerusalem. And as this is happening, people are saying, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna. This group of people was excited about the parade. Uh, they were, it was an electric crowd. It was an electric mood. They were all in on this parade that was happening. But there was another group there. Much like those of you may feel about clowns, there was something going on in this parade that left them feeling threatened. That left them feeling um, anxious. These were the Pharisees. These were the religious know-it-alls. They thought that they alone had the authority to uh, identify who might be the Messiah that had been promised throughout time. They thought that they knew better than anybody else who Jesus was and who Jesus wasn't. And in their mind, for their money, He was not a Messiah. He, he was a false prophet. He was not the one that they'd been waiting on. And so they were threatened because all of these common people were rejoicing and saying Hosanna and calling Him the one who came in the name of the Lord. And they were threatened because they didn't think that this person was the Messiah, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. And they're scared because everybody else seems to think that Jesus is that person. Now they didn't shout their opinions like all of the common folk did, saying, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. No, they were much quieter about it. They shared their opinions directly with Jesus. And they went up to Jesus and they said, you've got to get these disciples of yours to stop. You've got to get them to stop. Well, it's interesting here that uh, they were trying to get Jesus to rebuke His followers. They were trying to get Jesus to reject their praise of him, these people probably didn't like clowns. 
and they didn't like this parade that was going on. So you've got some who were praising the parade, and you've got others who were petrified of the parade. Two competing voices. And yet there's a third voice in the Scripture. We don't hear it, but Jesus talks about it. When the Pharisees come to Jesus and say, order your disciples to stop their praise, Jesus said, if they were quiet, then the rocks would cry out. Now, I don't think it's interesting that Jesus didn't say, if they're quiet, then the birds will tweet about it. Or if they're quiet, that the lions will roar about it. Instead, Jesus took an inarticulate object and said, if my people are quiet, even the very rocks will cry out about who I am. So if nature itself... Now what is interesting here is that the Pharisees who tell Jesus to tell his disciples to shut up are the ones who end up being silenced. Never again in the Gospel of Luke do the Pharisees speak. So they wanted Jesus to silence his followers and yet their voices are ultimately the ones who will be silenced for the remainder of this story. Now look, I've said it before, I know that I'm standing before a great group of biblical scholars. You just sit around all day long theologizing about what it is that I talk about on Sunday morning. And so some of you have already made that leap and you said, you know what preacher, the rock did cry out. Because on that Sunday morning, that Easter Sunday morning, after Jesus had been crucified and placed in a tomb, there was a big rock, a big stone that was rolled away. And that big stone spoke then, and it still speaks now about who Jesus really is. He really is the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. He is the Messiah. He is the Son of the Most High God. I know some of you were thinking that. And I want to say, good job. Gold stars for everybody. Fantastic. I'm not surprised at all that you made that jump. But what I want to suggest to you to, to, to this morning is that sometimes we are so quick to move to the empty tomb that we don't pause at the cross. Sometimes we like a parade that's a lot of fun, that's got a lot of joy about it, people waving palm branches, laying cloaks down, singing praises to Jesus as He enters. But we don't want to deal with what we also call this Sunday, not just Palm Sunday, but Passion Sunday, for this parade begins the walk of suffering and ultimate death, the passion of the Christ as He makes His way to the cross. 
how do I know or why do I think that so many of us Christian folk today um, rush too quickly to Easter Sunday without pausing at the cross? Attendance. This morning we got two congregations full of people and everybody's happy because all the kids are coming in waving their palm branches and Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And next Sunday, somebody will be sitting in your seat. I'm telling you, they're going to be sitting in your seat next Sunday morning. We're going to have a huge crowd of people here. But if we look at the attendance of Holy Thursday, where we're reminded of Judas betraying Jesus, where we're reminded of the suffering that Jesus encounters on our behalf as he's beaten to a pulp. And as Good Friday approaches and we look at the attendance of churches, the people that will come through to to, uh, worship, you're like, I ain't coming to no Good Friday service. It's a self-guided tour. I self-guide myself somewhere else. I mean, a preacher's not going to be there to do it for me. Sometimes we skip right over Holy Thursday and Good Friday so we can get right to Easter so that we can hear that stone crying out. And I don't want that to be the case for us. I don't want us to Settle for the parade that's all about joy and praise and life without understanding what it took to get there. And so I would invite you to please be a part of our Monday or Holy Thursday service this Thursday at 6.15 here in the sanctuary. And if your schedule permits from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., you can drop by at any time and stay as little or as long as you like to contemplate the seven last words of Christ and ponder how great was Christ's love for each one of us that he was willing to make that journey to the cross. And then, let's gather next Sunday to celebrate the risen Lord.